softly and we bow our heads heavenly father this morning we've come and lord you declared that where two or three would gather in your name that you would be there lord this morning your people have gathered in your name and they are here lord and you promised that now there's more than two or three you would be here so father this morning as we've come we're inviting you to take the center part of this service. You use vessels, you use the singers this morning. We thank you for our little sister that sang. We thank you for our brother Bob, and we thank you for everyone that participated in worship. We thank you for all the prayers. We thank you for the presence of each one that's here. The musicians, we thank you for the ministry. And now, Lord, but in all of these things, We'd just be tinkling cymbals if you wouldn't come. So we're inviting you, come and minister to us this morning. Take over this service, Lord. Take my words, my lips, use them, O oh Lord. Lord, use our ears and our hearing that we may hear what you have to say to us. Lord, this morning I also want to mention Sister Grace Palma. Lord, Brother Paul, her brother had called last night. I just awoke in the early hours, about 12.30, and just at that time, he texted me and said she's in the hospital at the Gray Nuns, and she was having severe stomach pains and was there till 7 this morning, and they released her, and he said, thank you for your prayers, but Lord, may healing come to her. Lord, there's others that are not here this morning. There's elderly, there's some that are away and different things but lord i pray you'd be with us all wherever they are and with us today here lord jesus we invite you now come use the scriptures we have bless them to us bless the words in jesus name amen amen thank you god bless you to the musicians i will like to go to the bible and move along in where i'm at um, i'm going to invite you to turn if you will to the book of hebrews chapter 11 um, I will, being this is really probably going to be the last service I minister for the next few weeks, I had started on something several weeks ago on put your house in order, and it probably led me into a natural thought, which I've never really quite finished. There's a spiritual about the season that we are in and our preparation, leaving time, moving into eternity. But really, we are pilgrims and we are strangers in this world. 
And uh, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. And I, I believe that's not just because we're here, but that's where our hearts are. So I, I then spoke several services on the generation of the fulfillment. This would be the fourth. I could take several more, and I probably have things I'd like to get to, but today I'm going to try and put forth a couple of different thoughts. I'm going to try to link them. It might seem like I'm jumping. I don't intend that, but I pray that God will allow me to minister. Hebrews chapter 11, reading from verse 8, if you will. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went. So can you imagine now you put yourself in Abraham's shoes. When God calls you, you leave everything comfortable, not knowing, but there's something burning in my heart. I've got to follow it. It's more real. So he went out, and now he was going to receive an inheritance. So he, he went out not knowing. Verse 9, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Now that is his natural lineage, Isaac his son, Jacob. Then there was Jacob with his 12 um, sons, which became the tribes. But they're all linked together. Now in verse 10, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He was looking for it. He'd met the king of that city, which was Melchizedek. And he knew there was a city. And friends, we believe there's a land beyond the river. We have, <coughs> we have heard from our king. Give me a little bit more. I, I'd, I'd like to just preach today if I can. Drop down to verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Not only they, but us. Amen? Verse 14, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. That's how important it is to keep our minds. God's been speaking to us about our thought life, about our minds, about where we're going. Keep your eyes on him, the eyes of your heart, your mind. Jesus told us three words as a warning to us. Remember Lot's wife. What did Lot's wife do? She had to have one more look back. But these people, they were not mindful of the country that they returned, came out of, or they would have had opportunity to go back. Verse 16, but now they desire a better country that is a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We'll, we, we could read many more verses in between, but let's go down to verse 38. 
The Bible would say from verses 33 to 37, many others that were in the Bible and things they went through, but verse 38, it would say, of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. These were the elect of God, the ones God called out through the ages. This is how they lived. He said, and these all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Abraham never got to see that city. But he died, went in the grave, knowing it would come. And so did everyone. And so did the Gentile age through seven ages. They died believing that they would see the Messiah. They would see God again. And now he's saying, these all received a good report, but they didn't receive the promise. Verse 40, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. In other words, God had a thought of a generation that would come to a fulfillment and they would receive their perfection. There will come a church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb, perfected by God Himself. Just into verse 12, a couple verses here. Wherefore, seeing we are also come, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him that endured such great contradiction of sinners against yourself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. God bless you. May have your seats. Thank you for standing. <clears throat> we read this account in Hebrews, and we, are, we can read in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, in the book of Exodus, we can read about Abraham. It gives us a historical dialogue. It tells all the good points, all the bad points. It would tell, uh, you know, the Bible exposes it all. It, it told of Abraham when he left everything, but it also told of Abraham when he lied to the king. It also told of Abraham and, and his faults and his failures and Sarah, how she laughed. It told all of those things. But once you go from the Old Testament through the atonement and you come into the New Testament, Paul, now under inspiration, he writes, we read about Abraham who was strong in the faith and he wavered not. Though we had stumblings, that's the story of our lives. We got stumblings, but there's something keeps pushing us. There's something that compels us that we cannot help but follow. So, so these things are in us also. And, and even Sarah, we look at Sarah as weaker, and she didn't do these things. And, but the Bible would say, and Sarah also received strength through, through knowing him in whom she believed in. So we believe that we are, if, if God would look at somebody in the Old Testament under the, the blood of bulls and goats and would see them as righteous coming through, we are under the blood of Jesus Christ. So we are, we are living. Now, so we can look at 
the generation, but the account of Hebrews, now as it talks about Abraham and his seed or the generations that follow, it brings defining characteristics of their faith. You know, you see it, you know, why did Moses choose to not call himself the son of Pharaoh? Because he had something in him. You know, why, why did he separate himself? Why did Enoch, you know, leave off all the other things and, and go the direction? Why did Noah do what he did? These were common characteristics of the faith of the saints, which we identify with this morning. Now, I'm going to just pick up here a little bit because this is, and, and if I can, God is always unfolding himself in types and in shadows. So what he did in Genesis, he knew that it would be the beginning of something that would play out right till, gen, right till the book of Revelations. God is all-knowing. He knows the beginning. He knows the end. He knows everything that happens between. And God will unfold. So what we see in the Bible in the Old Testament is the shadow. The Bible says the law is the shadow of good things to come. The law could not make us perfect, but it was a shadow. So the shadow, if I would take my hand and I would put it up and, and, and the light here, and, and you would see a shadow behind, the, the further the light is away from the object, the, the more obscure the shadow. But the closer the light comes to the object, which would be my hand, the shadow would show it more and more clearly what it is. And so we are living where there is a great light that has been shone, and we are seeing more clearly than ever what God is intending to do. So the Old Testament would be a shadow. The, the, the first exodus was a shadow of what the second exodus would be. And we are under a third exodus. So God is always showing these things so we can pick up these characteristics. Now you know all of these things, and if you know them, don't just sit like you know them. Just say yes, say amen. Brother Ed, is there a value to saying that? Do we remember the service we played here a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday? The words that we speak, the words that come out of our mouth, they have an opportunity to create something. If, if, you, if, you, if you can't use your mouth, just nod or, or agree in your heart or do something. Thank you for all being here. You're all with me. I know some of you were moving this weekend. I know some of you were at showers. Some of you were at breakfast. And some of you were at all these things this, this weekend. But let's put those things aside and let's take this next hour just for this. Is that okay? I think I hit most of you there and all of that. But anyway, if you weren't in that group, just be with me as well, okay? Now, Genesis 15, real quick. We used this last Wednesday, but this is God speaking to Abraham, verse Genesis 15, verse 13. Apologize that we don't have uh, everything that we can show you. I don't, I don't have, do we have the other monitor on, Brother Mark? We do. Okay, I think we do. Genesis 15, verse 13. So this is God saying to Abraham, he said to Abraham, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land 
that is not there shall serve them. They shall afflict them 400 years. So now he's looking down through time. He's telling Abraham. He's prophesying to him. And Abraham would tell his children, his children's children, look, things are going to happen that are going to be in a downward spiral. But at the end of this, I'm going to come and lift you up. So he would say, you're going to serve this nation 400 years, which was Egypt. And that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. Afterwards, you will come out with a great substance. Now, those are little words, but if you watch everything that happened, how God fulfilled that, and, and you could read through the book of Exodus, ten plagues. And at the end of the plagues, Pharaoh said, go, take everything with you. Take everything. God watches his word, brings it to pass. Exactly what he told Abraham. And he says, And thou shalt go to thy fathers in a good peace, in peace you shall bury it in a good age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not full. Now, I've always paralleled this, and I would say it this way. The message of deliverance that, that, that Israel received in that day under the prophet Moses was a message of deliverance to one group of people, but it was a message of judgment to another group of people. And so is it in this day. It was in Jesus' day. So is it in this day. The world is spiraling out of control. Anybody that can see anything will recognize there's not a lot of good that's ahead for the world. And I'm, I'm not a doomsday person because I believe God has given us a positive message. And it's not that this is not his kingdom. This earth is not our, world, our, our final home. But I believe God's going to renovate the earth and he's going to come back and we're going to dwell and reign and there's going to be righteousness forevermore. That is my future home. Now, so, so the iniquity of the Amorites is not full. So paralleling with their deliverances, there's an iniquity. There's a cup of iniquity. I don't know how much more this world has to add for the cup of iniquity in this day to be full. But it is, it is coming to a climax. So he says now in the fourth generation. So there was a first, a second, a third. And there's a fourth generation. Uh, God, God does all of his things, I, I think, very purposefully. And, and, and I, I will not have time to go into all the details. But, you know, God would, would use, even as Israel, he would use the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, to punish Israel. Because they never, you know, God had a law, he said, Every seven years, you need to let the land rest. But Israel, over time, said, no, we're losing all this productivity in the seventh year. Let's just do this anyway. It's not a big deal. God watches over his word. So Israel went into captivity. I could pull out the scripture for it, but if you need to, I, I can give it to you. But he brought them into captivity 70 years to make up for the 490 years that they never let the land rest every seven years. He says, why? The land's going to lay desolate and it's going to rest. And the Bible would say, and God fulfilled that. Now, he would use Nebuchadnezzar, a Babylonian king. 
he would use him to fulfill that. So he even calls him Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. Now that's God's words. Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. After the time of judgment, he comes back and says, now Nebuchadnezzar, because you put your hand on my children, I'm going to punish you. Now, God, now who's, who's God watching over in all this? His children. He gives them a spanking. He tells them this. And then he tells this Nebuchadnezzar who was a tool in the hand of God, the greatest nation at that time, I got my eyes on Israel. I've never left them. Though I've had to punish them, I'm going to bring them back out again. I believe that that same God is on the scene today. Now, in the fourth generation, they will come hither again. You know, I, I believe that you can look at the stars, the heavens, that's God's first Bible. You can look at nature, and you could look at the Word of God, and they all run in continuity. I, I've shared this before, but in nature, they have what's called the monarch butterfly. The monarch butterfly lives four generations. They, they start their generations down in Mexico, uh, down in, in, there's some groves where they gather by the the millions in, in Southern California, they hang on these trees, they, they sit there, and now when spring comes, they start a journey, and they journey to the north. And you see these monarch butterflies, they come all the way from Mexico, California, all the way up to Canada, different parts all over, and they, they come by the millions. Now, the, journey, the, the, the butterfly that starts the journey does not finish the journey. But, but actually, there's four generations. The first generation lives six weeks, six to eight weeks, and it dies. But the next generation that's born picks up the journey, and it lives another six to eight weeks, and it dies. And then the third generation comes all the way up and completes the journey to where it started from. And it dies. And then there's a fourth generation. And the fourth generation, each of those first three generations, they lived six to eight weeks, six to eight weeks, six to eight weeks. The fourth generation lives eight months. Now, each generation was carrying the seed of the fourth generation with it. It was carrying something that God had placed within them. And, and the, the, the last generation, it makes the journey all the way back to where it started from. Now this is God who did this in nature. There's other examples I could bring you. But that God also knows that the fourth generation, and you look, I could bring in scriptures, he'll visit the sins and iniquities down to the third and fourth generation. He'll, he could bring all of these things into play. But I'm just making a principle. We are living, friends, we are living and we are coming into a season where we're, the message that we heard that God sent in this last days, there's been a generation that's gone on. There's a generation that's passing on. I, I think I'm, I'm maybe part of the third. I, I'd hope I'd be part of the fourth. But I believe we're coming to where God has seen something. He's prophesied something like he did to Abraham. There'll be a generation that will not see death. There'll be a generation that will be raptured. There'll be a generation that I will take off the earth. That same God is alive today. 
I believe that with all my heart. I could read a number of different, different quotations and prophecies, but I, I'm just planting those seeds. Now, God's telling this to Abraham, and he's saying, until the, the iniquity of the Amorites, but in the fourth generation. Let's just play this out quickly. Exodus 3. My subject is the I am is here. I'm speaking on the generation, the fulfillment, but I want to speak on the I am is here. Exodus 3, let's pick up verse 6. Now it is God fulfilling what he said to Abraham. Moreover, he said, I am. Two words, I am. I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So exactly what he told Abraham, he told Abraham, I'll be with Isaac, I'll be with Jacob. Now God comes and tells Moses, I am that God that was watching over this right to this hour. Do you believe, friends, we are at the fulfillment of things? Let me, I'll bring some things quickly. And the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people that are in Egypt. I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. I know their sorrows. I am come. Here it is again. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egypts, out of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large and unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, God gave them that land by promise, knowing that all of these other nations would be there. Some of those nations, the, the Amorites, some of those other different ones, they, they, they crossed paths. Uh, they, they, they lived there years after Abraham had walked the land already. But Abraham was the one that the land was intended to, and God was going to bring, bring them. So now it's the season of fulfillment. Drop down to verse 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel and shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, what shall, and they shall say to me, What is his name, and what shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. So capital letters, the I am. When Jesus said, Where two or three will gather in my midst, I am in your midst. So, so God had designated this season. He was not just sending a prophet uh, to fulfill the word, but he was going to come down himself and deliver them. And friends, that's where we are today. God is the hidden one in all the Bible. You, you take the seventh seal and you, you can take all that's hidden. What is it? Seventh seal, he says, brings him back to earth. The seventh seal was manifest in Genesis when, when all the seeds that were sown began to spring up. The seventh seal was manifest in the ark when, when, when Mo Moses or Noah, let's get the right one. Somebody will surely tell me, you said Moses built an ark. I know I've said that before maybe, but you know what I meant. So it was when Moses built an ark, Moses, here I said it, <laughs> testing you. Haha. <laughs> you see how the seeds are planted? 
just takes one guy to say something, and then the next guy follows it. Same guy. Noah built an ark. Build it with gopher wood. What's gopher wood? It's porous. It won't do anything. And God picked the bride in the end, full of faults, full of failures, and he said, you're going to be the ones. But it's not you. It's going to be me in you. That's going to make you perfect. And then he tells Noah, he says, okay, you built this, and everybody around is laughing and saying, that's going to flow. We've never even had rain. And then he tells them, now I want you to put pitch. That's, that's like, like, like a, a sap or a syrup. And I want you to fill all those holes from the inside and from the outside. And it's going to be that what's going to make the ark float. Listen, friends, it's not me. It wasn't even God. It wasn't even just the prophet. It was God that came down in this last day. It's him. The I am is here again. He is here to fulfill his word. In you, in me. So he says, the I am has sent you. I love how Brother Harold would often say it. You cannot tell the story of the deliverance of Egypt in the first exodus without mentioning Moses. You cannot tell the deliverance of the second exodus where, where God would move like after Jesus where he would bring a spiritual people out of a natural. You cannot tell the ushering in of the Gentiles without mentioning the name of Paul. Neither can you tell at the ending of the dispensation that God come down without mentioning the name of the prophet of this last day. Because it was God that was saying, I will come down. And here we have a prophet that says, and he's reading, and, and he's, he's about to, he's, he's seeing a vision. He's seeing something happening in the audience. Says, your sister so-and-so. That's the video we showed last Sunday night. You're this, you're this. That wasn't just a man. But it was God behind the man. And he would say, and he would be in the middle of something, and then he would go back over here. And he said, what did she touch? What did, that, what did that woman who had the blood issue touch? She, it wasn't even the faith, uh, it wasn't even Jesus reaching as much as it was her faith touching him. And she never touched him by flesh to flesh. But she, by her faith, she touched him spiritually. Friends, that same God is here. Maybe the prophet isn't, but you can touch him today. He is here. Now, we, we could... We could just jump over one more, if I can, Exodus chapter 23, because we can say, well, I wasn't there when Moses was there. The generations that followed when, when Moses went off the scene, they could look back and say, he wasn't there, and, and it's so far removed, and maybe we feel like that. Well, I wasn't there when this happened. I wasn't there. But the God of the initial was there through every generation that came forth. And he's going to come to a fourth generation and make his word fulfill. Exodus 23, this is, this is him, this is now um, Moses speaking to the generation. Verse 20, behold, I send an angel before you, before thee, to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place that I have prepared. 
So Israel was going to leave the promised land, but they would not know that it would take 40 years in the wilderness before they'd ever see that land. And a generation would have to die out, but God's word had to come to pass. So he would said, this angel, the supernatural element, don't ever carnalize the message. Don't ever reduce it to the intellect of man. There is a supernatural God that watches over his word. And he would say, this angel, beware of him. Obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions. My name is in him. The I am is in him. If thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thine adversaries. For my angels shall go before you and bring thee in unto the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and you shall coexist with them. Sorry, I messed up the last part. I will cut them off. God has reserved something for his people. And he warns them, don't bow down to their gods. Don't serve them. Don't do their works. You shall utterly overthrow them and quite break down their images. Let me just stop here for a moment, friends. We are living in a time, we're a week away from Easter. But you think about what Jesus went, what, what he endured on Good Friday. He had to come knowing he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He came knowing that it was up to him to do the Father's will, that there had to be a lamb that was going to be slain. And he had to keep his focus. And I want you to think, here he was walking, walking into Pilate's hall. Outside there was a lot of noise. There was people screaming, kill him! People that a week earlier were, were waving palm leaves. Hosanna, Hosanna, here's the king that comes. Scripture being fulfilled. We read that a couple Sundays ago. But now it's a week later, and here's a lot of noise. The religious leaders crying, kill him, kill him. They didn't even know the spirit that was on them. There was others saying, no, don't. It was a big hubaboo, everything going on. And then he steps into Pilate's hall. Maybe that was a, a noise that was around him. And in front of him he had a leader that was there, Herod and Pilate, enemies in the political circle. It'd almost be like the NDP and the conservatives joining together. Could you imagine such a thing? I could never. But it says, the Bible would say, when the word came into their presence, they became friends the same day. Why? There was a common agenda, a spirit that drove them against the fulfillment of God's word. So it will be again in this day. As a people come to their fullness, everything will turn against. But God will stand for his people. But Jesus had to blank out a lot of noise. And friends, we have an age where there's more noise than ever. You have more people that are crying against the very things we stand for. There are, there are schools that are teaching things that should never come across children's eyes. There are educators that have agendas, that are putting an agenda forth, that is raising another generation. If there should be another generation, what would they be? There is... There is 
there is forces, political leaders joining alliances and doing things, and there's agreements, and they'll never last. Two can never walk together except they agree. But I'll say there's a lot of noise, and I'll say individually in your lives, there's a lot of noise. You can have emails come across your way. You can have news come across your way. You can have, even within the ranks of the message, you can have a lot of different sounds come your way. I'll say what you need to do. You need to blank out some of the noise. You need to have a focus and say, Lord, I am looking to you. And I'll tell you, there's times I, I, I love hearing things, but i got to blank out a lot of noise just to find the place with God to get the message that He wants for Sunday. To find my direction, I say this. If you ever think there's a lot going on around you, start to shut it out a little bit. Because Jesus had to close His ears to the noise in order to do with the Father's will. I, I believe more than ever, let's hear His voice. Let me just finish verse 25. (coughs) And you shall serve the Lord your God. This is under that angel. And he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. I will send my fear before thee, and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come, and I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. Now you could read out further down into verse 29. He says, I will not drive them out before you all in one year. He said, I I need to build your character a little bit. You can't handle it if I give it to you all at once. Neither can we. So he builds our character. He puts us through trials. He allows these things. Now, so I I bring all of this. And again, what I want to bring, and I'm going to just have to jump because there's more I could continue on this line, but I want to, I want to jump for a moment here. I'm going to just use, use, use just a couple of uh, scriptures. I want, to just, I want you to think about the fulfillment of things, and I'm, I'm just going to pull these. Brother Mark, I never gave these to you, but I'm going to just read them <clears throat> if, you, if you happen to get them. But I want you to look at what happened When Moses came on the scene, it was a fulfillment of what was said to Abraham. And it wasn't just Moses, it was God himself fulfilling his word. When Jesus came on the scene, it was not just uh, a man that was there as just a prophet, but this was on a higher level. God had to send a messenger before him, and the messenger before him was John, and he would say, I am not the one. I must decrease. He must increase. So he was pointing to something. Let me read just a couple scriptures. Matthew 1, verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. I'm just going to read this quickly. Matthew 2, verse 15. 
And they were there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which, which was spoken by the Lord, the prophet out of Egypt have called my son. Jer- Matthew 2 verse 17. Then there was fulfilled which was spoken by Ma- Jeremy the prophet. And I, I'm just reading. You can look up the word fulfilled and you will find in Jesus' life it was scripture after scripture that was being fulfilled. Matthew 4, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He walked in a land which needed to see, which had seen darkness. Matthew 8, 17, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Matthew 12, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah. You could go on and on. I could read Matthew 13, verse 14. Matthew 13, verse 15. It said, that it might be fulfilled, I'll speak to you in parables. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret. And the prophet in this last day would say, you can't go out and explain everything, because the devil works by intellect. You explain it all, but God works by revelation. So you can understand parts of the message with your mind, which is good, but at the end, you're looking for it to move down into the soul realm, the subconscious, that which is pulling, that which is leading you, that which is you yourself can't explain. But that's a part God wants to fulfill. Now, you, you, could, you could go on, but I, if I can, I'm just going to pick uh, this one up in Matthew 26, verse 54. And it was Jesus, now he is walking, and, 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 and he's got to fulfill, he's, he's recognizing his place in the word, but he's got to be able to act according to what the Bible speaks of him. So Matthew 26, if I can just turn to that real quick, and if I will read in verse 54, but I'll just start maybe a, a scripture before, and this is when Peter takes the sword and he strikes off the ear of the high priest. Let me just say this. He wasn't aiming for the ear. But luckily it was just an ear. And Jesus in verse 52 said, Then Jesus said unto him, Put again thy sword into your place, for all that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? So Jesus had the power just to call the angels. But everything was subject to God's word. And he says in verse 54, this is, this is what drove him. How then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it may be. So he was held in check by the Scriptures. There's, there's many things we could share on that level. Now, as I took these Scriptures, I'm going to just take this. Brother Mark, if you can put up the PowerPoint for me. I won't be long on this this morning, but I want to just take in this thought of the fulfillment. So there's generations God has in His mind. Listen, I, I was telling somebody the other day about uh, this man named Paul Harvey he was a newscaster. And in 1965, he took out a little clip and he said, if I were the devil. And, and in 1965, and you can read through it, it's almost prophetic. And he talks of, if I were the devil, this is what I would do. I would get into the educators. If I were the devil, I would do this and this. 
Brother Harold often said he, was, he threatened, I'm going to preach a service if I were the devil. And I asked him one time, so when are you going to preach that service? He said, I don't want to give the devil any more ideas. <laughs> so I'm going to use this. If I were God, and I'm not, I'm not even close to it. But if I were God, would I let this last generation just kind of creep into oblivion and just be this and this? Or would I have a glorious victory? Would I have a church that is triumphant in the end? God is God. He will allow the devil a season, but God will manifest the victory in the message. And he will not be defeated. Now, Let's just put up that, that, that PowerPoint and just turn the light off there, Brother Jared, if you will. Okay, I want to read this first of all. We read this last Sunday morning. Genesis 1, verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs, for seasons, for days and years. So, one purpose, let them be lights to divide the day from the night. The other purpose, for signs, for seasons, for days and years. And let them be lights in the ferment of heaven to give light on the earth. So actually, the scriptural purpose of the stars and the, all of those things was actually greater than just light. The stars were God's first Bible. Now, let's fast forward. Luke 21. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword. It's talking about signs at the end. Led away captive unto all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Jerusalem has laid desolate for years and years. I believe if you look at the whole existence of Israel coming, it's supernatural. They existed under the Turkish Ottoman rule, and it was in 19, early 1900s, I think it was General Allenby of Israel was about to liberate them and, and, and Israel take it over. And, and the, the Turks that were inhabiting the land, and General Allenby comes and, and he said, Get every airplane you can, and we're going to fly over them. They didn't really have the strength to outdo them. But he said, get every airplane, and we're going to fly over them. And the news got out amongst the Turks that Allah was coming when it was Allenby. And when they saw these airplanes, they just surrendered. That was supernatural. There's more to the story. You, you can read it up, and you can look it up. But I say this, God allowed that. The existence of Israel was linked together. Their existence, they came into being in 1948, the very same time that a prophet was in a cave with an angel appearing. It was supernatural. These two were dovetailing. There's a convergence that's happening. Now, so going back to this. And they shall fall until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. Genesis 1, God said there's going to be signs. 
And upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and waves roaring, men's hearts failing for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in cloud, in a cloud with power and great glory. We, we point that to the future. There is a part of that in the future. A part of that has already happened. Now, Genesis, God knew it. Luke, he's saying it. We're living it. What's greater? When God said it, it was great. When, when Jesus said it again, but when we see these things come to pass. Friends, let's, let's not be dull of hearing. A cloud with, great po- with power and great glory. 1963, this cloud mysteriously appears on February 28th, 1963. This is 60 years and one month since then, approximately. 60 years ago. This cloud existed where clouds don't exist. It was measured by science to say it's 28 miles, or sorry, I forget how many miles high. Anyway, it existed where there's not even any vapor. So it's a cloud in a shape. It's a mysterious shape. There's the earth. And it happened right at the time a prophet was called to go west and he says, and he's there, and he receives a visitation of angels, and it was spoken months before in a message, what time is it, sirs? And this happens, and there was thunders that uttered to him, and he said, now go back east, the lamb will break the seven seals. Now, if we could see where that was in the scripture, I won't have time to go into that today. Some time later, this prophet, this was written up, this whole event was written up in Life magazine. It talks different pictures. They couldn't understand what that was. Brother Branham is in his home, and he's thinking on it, and the angel, the Lord speaks to him and says, turn it to the right. Turn it to the right. So this is the earth down here, but if you turn it to the right, there's the earth turning it to the right, and you see a different picture. Now, I, I, I grew up, I, I didn't know what that meant, and, and, and we look at all of those things. But what was it, and, and there's many parts we won't go into today, but there was something that that cloud veiled that was written in Daniel, that was written in this last day. And there was a face you could see, listen, that's just superimposed, but there's a wigged one. There's Jesus Christ looking on the earth in this last time. Revelations talks about different angels. It will talk about an angel in Revelations 9 that was cast into the earth. He fell, it says. But Revelations 10 says, this angel descended. Okay, that may, that just, I'm just dropping that in. There's much more to it. Now, about the same, about a, a year before, this is in 1962, 19, I wanted to speak 
some messages on a subject, events preceding, that we are not caught unaware because God never brings judgment without bringing warning first. In 1962, in a message called Communion, it says the astronomers are predicting sometime in the early part of the first part of the month, beginning on the second or fifth summer, the Indian astronomers predict the world to blow to pieces. And the American newspapers make fun of it. I do not believe the world's going to blow to pieces, but I do say it's wrong to make fun of it. We are living where people are getting in the spirit of tribulation. He says, I believe something's fixing to happen one of these days. Something similar to that where the five planets, Mars, Jupiter, and Venus, and so forth, come into their, their, he doesn't say it, they never have did it. In other words, it's never happened. They claim maybe 25,000 year, years ago, but who was back there to know? Same quote, it says this. Now, I predict that this has a spiritual application. I believe it's the coming in of the issue of God that the great revelations of the world, word will be opened during this time. This is in 1962. Remember, it was three stars that came into their orbits when Jesus was born. This is five. Five planets aligning. Now, this is actually happening in 1962, February 1962. It's actually happening within days of him speaking this. And he's, he's saying this now. Look, three stars came together. The wise men saw the three stars come together as one. That was the light that guided them. Now it's five stars coming together. And five is the number of grace, Jesus, grace, faith. Number of grace. God ever sends his power to the church. It'll be his grace. It won't be the obedience of the people. He refers Isaiah, cried to Jerusalem. She was guilty of idolatry, but it was God's grace sending it. If God sends anything to us, it'll be his grace and not our merits. So it may mean something. I predict there'll be a change. I don't know what it'll be, but I believe it's fixing to happen. We're on the eve of it right now. Now don't, don't turn the lights, Brother Jared, just leave this on. So I went back and I checked in 1962. Five planets came together. And the five planets all were from Venus to Saturn, I believe, or what it was I read. But we just read this quotation. I'm just going to go back. And he says, five planets, Mars, Jupiter. Jupiter never came together at that time. Now, Listen, we would not even know these things. Every time there's a full moon, we could make a spiritual application about it because the moon represents the church. But I believe there's times God draws our attention to things. It was in 1964 that a pope went to Israel and there was a blackout of the moon. And that represents something. We didn't know it, but a prophet knew it and drew our attention to it. So back then in 1962, he's saying, these are the planets, Mars, Jupiter, Venus, so forth. But it actually didn't happen right then, but he's, he's speaking, something's happening. So this last week, five planets came together. Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and 
I think what's one more? And Uranus. So Jupiter, which was never there then, but now it is this time, at this season. Nothing happens by chance in the heavens. Now, are you saying, am I prophesying that something spirit? I'm just saying, I say, could it be that we're in another season? Could it be that we're in another time, in another place, and God, the God that fulfills his word by watching over it and bringing it to pass? So these planets, now, the interesting thing about both of these alignments is the planets back in 1962 were naked, were, were visible, were visible to the naked eye. You didn't need a telescope. You could see it. And they align together. So is it in this time again too. And they say it won't happen for so and so long. I, I think 2040 or something again. But you could look in the scar. There was the moon. There was Mars. There's Uranus, Venus. There's Jupiter and something. It kind of blanked out in my picture. They're down below on the horizon here. But it was five planets that came together. Now that happened this last week. Now I, I'm not trying to be spiritual or anything. I'm just saying I don't just look up there but I look and say all of these things and I look at what's happening in the earth and I look at what God's doing inside of me. I look at how he's ministering to us, getting our hearts aligned, getting everything ready. It's all got to come together. Amen. And I want to be not caught unawares. I want to be a part of it. Okay, so I use that. It was just a month later or a month and a half a message, end time seed sign. Now he's talking about numerology and how these different things. When Christ was born, three stars went together. It made the one morning star. It reflected the coming of infant Christ. Now, what's happened? Past tense. He's saying, we see a roar in the paper, television. What is it? What's five? Five is a number of grace. Every time those stars come, then something happens on the earth. What's taken place? Five stars fell in. What was it? What was it introducing? Back then, it was introducing the Messiah, Jesus Christ. What's it introducing? Look at what's taken place. And he's talking about 1962. Germany almost washed off the map. The world would burst like a, they're talking about these things. England had a storm, disasters, California. What is it? He said, it's the beginning of sorrows. Earthquakes has picked up everywhere. Why is it five stars have come in line? So it's, to the world, it's one thing. It's judgment. It's the beginning of sorrows. These are words that Jesus used. It's the beginning of sorrows. It's the ushering in of the tribulation. I don't want to be here for a tribulation. But then he also says, on one hand, it's that. On the other hand, it's grace. God's grace and then he asked the question again, what has happened? What's happened? An infant church, hallelujah, a bride, in her infancy, the power of God has begun to fall on her. She's taking form. He says, a bride for the bridegroom. That's what's happening. Friends, it's not just up there. We're a part of it. If something's burning in your heart, if something's drawing you to God, I would say you follow that. You might not be able to figure it all out, but you know it's real. You know it's something more real. 
What's happened now? It's the church of the living God coming together. Under the word of God, the astronomic heaven is announcing her approach. Yeah, amen. You might not believe it, but it's his word just the same. Yes, sir. Next paragraph. What's happening? He's closing. I might say this. I, I, I purposely didn't yell that in case you thought I was closing. I'm not closing yet. Because somebody will surely say, oh, you said you were closing at quarter two, and I'm not closing yet. I say this, friends. The church is coming forth. God's going to have a church. Without spot or wrinkle, she's predestinated. Just like that butterfly. You were born in the first, the second, the third generation. But if you're part of the fourth generation, you can't help but yield to the life that's inside of you. Neither can we help but yield to the life that is inside of us. And the word that we believed will come forth. It will be God watching over his word. No longer saying, if I were the devil, if I were God, I would be very sure that these words would come to pass. What, what kind of attitude do we take? we got to blank out some noise. Like it was in the days when Samuel, when the prophet came, the Bible said, he let none of his words fall to the ground. I would say, I don't understand everything, but I pray daily. Lord, I am nothing, but you're everything, and you're God, and I want to yield myself to what you are. Friends, we, we're living in a great hour. Let me finish this. I believe that these Latter-day signs and things that happen, every one of them is peeling together to show that Christ is ready to come for his bride. As God and his word made manifest in a man, Jesus Christ, a perfect man, so is God and his word coming again, making himself manifest in a bride, not like doing what Eve did, hybriding it, but the unadulterated word of God will be born in that church and she'll stand like Jesus did with his spirit anointing in his word. Just leave the lights for a moment. I got one more slide I'm going to show. Friends, we could talk about the generations and I, that's a whole service I really wanted to take and I would not have time before I go. But every generation has had to have overcomers. And I could point out Generation Z, Millennial Generation. I could tell you the attributes of every generation. I could tell you what the differences are and, and the things that even we are born into, but we've got to overcome those. Let me boil it down to this. There was a generation back in the Garden of Eden where there was uh, a woman in the garden and there was a serpent that came and began to speak to her and began to bring words that would cause her to fall from what God's perfect will for her was. That Eve fell, but God said, the Eve that I have in my mind at the end will not fall. She will hold fast to what that Eve fell from, this Eve will stand. She will take my word. She will hold it in her heart. It will be life to her, and I'll bring forth a bride to myself. Not because I can point to some astronomic stars and things like that. Okay, let me read one more. I told you I'm jumping. I don't mean to jump or discombobulate anything, but I, I want to bring a couple of things together this morning. Also, it would say in the same scripture in Luke 21, and he spoke unto them a parable, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they shoot forth, you shall see and know of yourselves that summer is nigh at hand. 
The fig tree always represented Israel. The other trees are the nations of the world. So likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, you, you shall know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. So when these trees begin to bloom or come into their maturity, you know something's at hand. And he says, verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away until all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Okay, you can turn that off, Brother Mark, and get ready for this little video clip I want to play. Now, you can, you can uh, just take this, and I'll say you can go back to Daniel, but it talks about Israel, and they'll be cut off in the midst of a time period, and it will usher in the Gentiles. And that time of the Gentiles is being lived out. Israel rejected the Messiah. Now, the story of Joseph plays out the life of Jesus Christ beautifully. But while Joseph was in a Gentile nation, he took himself a bride. And he took that bride to himself. And then when it comes time to reveal himself back to his brothers, that bride was already with him. That's a type of what we're living out. Now, but there'd come a time, now naturally speaking, Israel, the Messiah they rejected, which was Jesus Christ, they're going to come back and know him. Not in the order of the Levitical law anymore, but yet that's all they know and they're coming back to it. So Israel has become a nation, but they're also making preparation. They're looking for the Messiah. They know that they're a nation. They also are looking to establish temple worship. They're also looking to make a sacrifice that is holy and sacred. Now I'm going to let this play and you can listen to it. Go ahead and play the video, Brother Mark. The five red heifers are now in a secure, undisclosed location in Israel. Plans include moving them sometime soon to a visitor's center in Shiloh, where the tabernacle of the Lord once stood for nearly 400 years. The book of Numbers explains that ashes of the red heifer are used to purify priests for their service in the temple. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no defect and on which a yoke has never come. You shall give it to Eliezer the priest, that he may take it outside the camp, and it shall be slaughtered before him. Its offal shall be burned, for the water of purification it is for purifying from sin. These red heifers are now between one and a half to two years old. To replicate the ceremony mentioned in the Bible, they need to be at least three years old. And within that time span, they cannot have a blemish or anything that would disqualify them for the ceremony, even one white or black hair. According to those working on the project, the ceremony of the red heifer needs to be performed on the Mount of Olives and in a place that would have looked directly into where the temple stood. The land I'm standing on, bought 12 years ago, fits both of those standards. It's had to be exactly at the front of the place that the priest that made this ceremony can see the holy of the holy place. Rabbi Yitzhak Mamo owns the land here on the Mount of Olives. 
And we hope that in a year and a half from today, we can make here in this area the ceremony of the red heifer that actually will be the first step to the temple. Mamo says the ceremony needs priests who have not been defiled by touching anything dead. The Temple Institute actually have uh, nine pure priests. They didn't born in hospital, okay, they born at home. Mm -hmm. Because they are priests, so anyway, they don't go to any cemetery. Mm -hmm. And the parents keep them in a situation that they will not get to any cemetery, not going to mm -hmm. other, any uh, problematic place, and they are pure, mm -hmm. and they are waiting. So we have the priest, we have the red heifer, we have the land, and we have everything ready. We just need to wait another one and a half year. So we believe that uh, it's very likely that the ceremony would happen somewhere in the area of Passover 2024, out to possibility of Shaviot 2024, somewhere in that timeline, the cows would be old enough and it would be the proper timeline for that ceremony. Byron Stinson of Bornay, Israel, helped find the red heifers in the U.S. He says these would be the... You can just leave it there, Brother Mark. We'll just turn the lights on. There's actually a little bit more to that clip, and they talk about... And I'll just Maybe I'll do this first of all. The ceremony of the red heifer and the ashes relates to the sin of ignorance. Now, Israel was blinded by God so that the Gentiles could come in. So they were blinded. They didn't know they were crucifying the Messiah. And so they were living out something. God blinded them, but now they're coming back. They want to have this ceremony. Now, they say that they've had this ceremony nine times in, in, a, in a period of time that they're looking for the tenth time and they're hoping that the Messiah will be the one to perform this ceremony. Now, I, I don't want to put dates because he said 2024. At the end of this clip, he says, we're looking for the Messiah. Now, this is what's in the hearts of Israel. And I would say God is bringing everything. There is such a convergence of things that are happening with Israel, with the Gentiles, with the beast of Revelation 17, with the powers that God's going to, he puts in the hearts of the dictators, and with a bride, a people that wants to be ready for his second coming. So God is bringing all these things together. Now, we're, we're just a few minutes. I'm going to just try and summarize it in, in a few words here. Are you still with me? I told you I was, I don't want you, you might say, Brother Ed, you jumped here, you jumped... I'm just trying to bring together different events, but they're all converging. And we are sitting here, friends, at the convergence of things. And at the convergence of things, you know, Ezekiel would talk about the wheel in the middle of the wheel. Did you know God's heart is on his people? Did you know all the things that are happening relate to the wheel inside of the big wheel? You think that, oh, we're just... We're being bounced around. No, God's got his eyes on a people, on a bride. He wants us to be ready. He wants us to prepare. If we could catch the hour that we're living in. Now, I, I wish I could have, I, I wanted to bring those clips in, but I want you to think for a moment, and I'll, I'll just use this as a scripture. John 3, verse 30, it would talk about John, as he's coming to the Messiah, the attention's on John, 
but it shifts. And he said, I must decrease, he must increase. Jesus himself would, would point to himself. I, listen, let's use one more scripture, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Verse 38. And some of then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. And he answered and said, An evil and adulterous generation, generation seeks after a sign. There shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. So he's referring to a backslidden prophet that ran from his duty got swallowed up by a fish, a prepared fish. And the Bible says, and God was in the fish. God was in the storm. God was in all these things. Go read the book of Jonah and read all the things that God was in. It wasn't just an event, but God was bringing it to pass. And so is God bringing it to pass. And he says, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the, in the earth. He says, so there will be a sign that's given. It's the sign of the resurrection. Jesus that was crucified 2,000 years ago is alive today. He is not dead. He is doing the same thing he did in Abraham. He's doing the same thing he did in Elijah's day. He's doing the same thing he did when the prophet was here. He is still here. And he's in his people. And there's an angel that's watching over them. I say, friends, we're closer than we've ever been before. There ought to be something in you not looking back, not looking forward. We are here. And he is here. I don't know about those Hebrew children, but there they were. There's two scenes that unfolded. Three children standing for the word of God. Babylonian king says, I'm going to throw you into a fire. Their testimony, their words. I don't care if you throw us in. God is able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't deliver us, we will not bow. We're not looking back. We're going forward. There's no plan B. There's just one plan. I'm trusting in God. That's what I've sold out to. And, and here's these three on earth. They're being ushered into the... And, and Nebuchadnezzar got more angry than ever. And as he got more angry than ever... Why are you relating this? Because it's what we're, what's unfolding. All the Bible is in types and shadows. And they come together. Spirits don't die. Situations change. But here he, he makes the furnace hotter and hotter. So much so that all the men that come up to him, they get burned up and die. And these three are coming forth. But in the meantime, back up in heaven, here is God sitting on the throne. Here I go again, if I was God. He's sitting up on the throne. He's got, he's got wormwood. And he's saying, look what's going on down there. And then he's got Gabriel. Look what's going on down there. And Wormwood says, let me go down there. Uh, the same angel that destroyed the world in the days of Noah, he said, I'll just wash them off the map. The angels, friends, the angels were ready because they saw what was happening. I don't know if the angels are looking down right now, but they're looking down on Laodicea. They're ready. Yeah. 
And I say that it's Gabriel there. I'll go down there. I'll do battle. It was Gabriel that appeared to Daniel. It was Gabriel that appeared to Mary. They're still alive today. And both these angels are ready to go. And then God says, you guys hold back. I'm coming down myself this time. I'm going to come down. I'm going to deliver them. I see the fire. The God that spoke to Moses and said, I know your affliction. I know the world around you. But I am come down to deliver you. That God is here today. He's not far off. And God comes down. And here's Nebuchadnezzar. And he's looking into the fire. And then the man said, didn't I throw three men in there? How come there's four in there? Why? Because the I am came down. Friends, the I am is here today. He, he who typed that out back there, he who typed it out, he is also here in this last day. We have a messenger that speak, spoke a message talking about a little girl in a cave. Oh, it's so dark, I can't even see. And a man stood up and said, There is a man here that can turn on the light. I believe he's here, friends. Let's have the musicians come. I believe he's here. I gave you you just a couple little things. Signs in the heavens. Signs in Israel. Sign of the resurrection that was made known to us in this last day. How did the prophet put it? Listen, he... We're not pointing just to Brother Branham, but we're pointing to what God is doing. And how did the prophet go? Just like faithful Elijah anointing on, the, on, on John to introduce the Messiah, just like the voice down at the river said, this message will forerun the coming of the Lord. Here he is in 1965, before he passes on the scene, he's still pointing to someone. And it said, I wasn't the one that appeared on the river. I was only standing there when he appeared. He's removing himself from it. I'm not the one who performs these things and foretells these things that happen as perfect as they are. I'm only the one that's near when he does it. I was only a voice that he used to say it. It wasn't what I knew It was just what I surrendered myself to that he spoke through. It wasn't me. It it wasn't the seventh angel. Oh, no. It was the manifestation of the Son of Man. The same sign that we spoke of in Matthew chapter 12, this is the sign that would be given to a generation. And then he would say, The men of Nineveh will arise with this generation and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. Behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south that came to Solomon to hear the wisdom of Solomon, she'll condemn this generation. Why? A greater than Solomon is here. Now, we're not pointing to a man. We're pointing to one. That is the I am. That is Jesus Christ. He came down. Listen, he says this to conclude. It's the mystery of God that unfolded. It's not a man, it's God. The angel was not the son of man. He was the messenger of the son of man. The son of man is Christ. He's the one you're feeding on. You're not feeding on a man. His words will fail. 
You're feeding on the unfailing body word of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. Do you appreciate that the Bible, that God would think enough in the Bible to forewrite all of these things in an age of confusion? And then he would come and send a message that would make things plain, even though they're sometimes not understood, but something inside of us is moving us, leading us. He's still leading us today. The pillar of fire that led the children of Israel, it appeared in the Bible back in the Old Testament. It appeared when Paul was on a road down to Damascus, a light appeared. It appeared in this last day. The same God is here again today. The same God that spoke to the woman at the well. The same God. Now I'm going to ask you. <laughs> if, if you're going to, we tried that last. Are you going to be able to do that? The same God. Can we try that? That same God is here. Do you believe he's here? Amen. Let's, let's try this. The same God that spoke to the woman at the well. If we can't, we'll do another one. I got a backup plan here. Go to the course. Go to the course. It's the same God who spoke to the woman at the well. Oh, the same God whose wonders too many to tell. The same.
you shall know, Jesus saying, that I am in the Father, Father in me, and I in you. What day is that? I believe we're living in that day. I believe with everything coming around, God has got to give us something that lets us know who we are. That we are not here by accident. That we are not part of the world that's going into destruction. But we are here for Him. And He is here for us. I believe we're living in a great hour, friends. I, I, when when I, I sat around, I grew up in a home where I had the Bible and had religion and had church. And I went out in the world and I did abominable things. Many of you have that testimony. But I can testify today. When I was in the middle of that thing, there were certain things that happened that there was divine intervention. And even though I didn't serve God for many years after, I look back and say, something intercepted me there and stopped me from worse. And it stopped me here. And it stopped me there. And then I came to church and I didn't understand what was going on. But something was pulling. Something was drawing. And I began to realize the God that knew the day I was born. The God that watched over me as a child. He watched over my grandmother. My mother. He allowed me to come. He watched over my life. And I come to church and all I knew is, oh, I, you got to understand how I, it was greater than understanding. It was meeting this God. It wasn't even meeting Elijah because I never met him. It wasn't even hearing stories about him. But this God, when he becomes real, when he drops in your heart, then your fears start to leave you. Then you know, I am just like he was when he was on the earth. There's a lot of noise going on around me, but I know who's living in me. We are in the season of the coming of the Lord. We are in the season of the coming of the Lord. The signs are all around us and the word has been restored. Oh. Uh-huh.